Buongiorno, benvenuto. Welcome to City Breaks Florence, episode 15. This is an episode I'm quite excited about because it's going to feature what I think was probably my very favourite building in the whole of Florence, and that is the Monastery of San Marco. It's really the first of three episodes in which I'm going to focus on the artwork in Florence. I've mentioned quite a lot of bits and pieces already, but now I'm going to devote three episodes actually to that. So starting here at San Marco, home of so many of Florence's most beautiful frescoes. So the episode is going to contain a little history of the building, an idea of what to see there, and then features on two of the artists whose works are featured here in some quantity, and that would be Fra Angelico and Bartolomeo. I've mentioned San Marco in at least two episodes already, one on Cosimo de' Medici, because he it was who got the idea of paying for a monastery to be built here, and also it was mentioned in the episode on Savonarola, because this was his home the monastery in which he lived while he was taking Florence by storm, and in which he was finally arrested and taken off to be tried and executed. To begin at the beginning, the site was acquired by the Dominicans in 1436, and it wasn't long before Cosimo de' Medici had the idea that he would pay for a monastery to be built here. The cynical view is that he was using it as a way to atone for some of his sins or make up for some of his rather dubious business practices and it was said to be a very special project to him. He was known as the highest taxpayer in the whole of Florence, but it was still thought that possibly even he wasn't paying as much tax as he really should have been, because banking was so lucrative and he had so much money. But anyway, even if that was the reason, he's left us with such a wonderful legacy that I think we can forgive him. The monastery was planned as a new home for the Dominicans who'd arrived from Fiesole, a little village just outside the city, and an architect was duly chosen, one Michelozzi, and it was built right from the beginning as a working monastery. The first prior was chosen, one Antonino, who was prior here from 1439 until 1446. He must have done a good job, I think, and gained respect, because when he left, he went on to be Bishop of Florence, and later he was sainted, so now he's known as Sant'Antonino. The buildings were designed to cluster around a cloister, still the first thing you'll see when you arrive today, and it included such things as a pilgrim's hospice and a refectory. Around the cloister, three first-floor corridors full of dormitories. The frescoes, which are perhaps the reason most people visit today, were planned right from the outset, and very early on an artist was commissioned. He was in fact at the time a monk, known as Fra Giovanni da Fiesole, but we know him better today as Fra Angelico. More about that later. He oversaw everything. He was perhaps the main contributing artist, but of course he worked, as they all did, with other artists, with apprentices, with a whole group. Definitely the most famous resident would be the one known as the Mad Monk, or otherwise known as Fra Girolamo Savonarola, who had three rooms here, which I'll be talking about a bit later an oratory, a study and a cell, and in memory of whom there's a plaque on the wall outside the library which marks the exact spot where he was arrested when they came finally to get him. He was arrested there and taken off to be tried, executed and finally have his body burned in the Piazza della Signoria. But I think as long as you go around not remembering that gruesome story in too much graphic detail, what you'll probably notice as you when you walk round it's just the sheer beauty and tranquillity of the place. 
It is a tourist venue, but I think it's much quieter than many of the other very busy places in Florence, and it certainly feels much more peaceful. Cloisters, corridors, lovely pale colours, glorious artwork, but much of it in quite restrained colours. I found it really has an atmosphere absolutely all of its own. This was described by an art historian, E. H. Gombrich, who wrote a book in the 1950s called The Story of Art, and this is what he wrote about the atmosphere at San Marco. Quote, in the stillness of the old building, one feels something of the spirit in which these works were conceived. Although I'm going to talk in some detail about various parts of the monastery it's nice to visit and much of the artwork there is to be seen there, I do actually think it's one of those places where really the nicest thing to do is just to wander and enjoy and drink in the atmosphere. So, as a beginning, I'll offer you a little tour around of some of the main rooms. The whole thing is built around the Sant'Antonino Cloister, which the monastery's own guidebook describes as, quote, measured, orderly Florentine Renaissance architecture. Exactly so. Around the lovely central green, there are the corridors in quiet cream and grey colours, the archways between the pillars, and the fresco depicting the life of Sant'Antonino, so the, the monastery's first prior. One of the main rooms to visit off the cloister is the Ospizio dei Pellegrini, or Pilgrim's Hospice, which was built in the 15th century and which today is used as a gallery in which are displayed many paintings by Fra Angelico. A lot of them have been collected, panel painting, paintings taken from churches and monasteries elsewhere in Florence, brought here, hidden then in many cases in Florentine galleries during the suppression of the monasteries in the 19th century, but which have now found their way back here. Fra Angelico was a working monk as well as a painter. He'd been commissioned to decorate the monastery where he lived, and so almost all of his paintings have a very Christian theme. So you can see here things like the deposition, which shows Christ being taken down, or Christ's body being taken down from the cross after the crucifixion. There are two, a pair of paintings called The Marriage of the Virgin and The Funeral of the Virgin, believed to be early examples of a painter using the newfound knowledge on perspective, painting figures in the foreground and trees quite obviously receding into the background. There are paintings of the Last Judgment, another one of the Lamentation over the Dead Christ, and perhaps most well-known, something known as the Doors of the Silverware Cupboard, believed to have been painted not just by Fra Angelico, but by a team of assistants as well. The cupboard, as its name suggests, was used to house the silverware used for mass, and its doors consist of eight panels, which have 35 scenes from the Old and New Testament painted onto them. It's thought that Fra Angelico himself probably painted most of the first nine scenes, which include the Annunciation, the Nativity and the Adoration of the Magi from the early part of Christ's life, and then later on, Jesus among the scribes. And also on the ground floor, you can go into the large refectory. It's quite an empty room now, but you can easily imagine it being full of benches and tables of monks eating, perhaps with their guests. But today it's an art gallery featuring 16th century paintings by a variety of artists, often paintings of the saints. St Francis is there, St Catherine, St Elizabeth. So downstairs is given over really to communal rooms, and if you go upstairs, that's where you'll find the monks' dormitories. There are three corridors in total, and they contain 43 individual cells, many of which have frescoes in them painted by Fra Angelico. Again, scenes from the life of Christ. 
and intended very much for individual contemplation. Whoever was sleeping in that cell would have that painting fresco to become familiar with, to use as a springboard for contemplation and prayer. We know that Fra Angelico asked other people to help with some of them. We know, for example, that one of these painters was Benozzo Gozzoli, well known, of course, for his lovely fresco in the Palazzo Medici Riccardi. Again, the frescoes tell the story of Christ's life, but they're not actually in chronological order. So for the scenes from early on, you might look in the third cell, which has got a fresco of the Annunciation. And then for the Nativity, there's a picture, there's a fresco of that in cell five. And a scene from Jesus' childhood, the moment when his parents took him to the temple, is shown in cell 10. And then in room 22, there's a fresco of the Crucifixion. And the Lamentation, the picture of the women, Mary and Mary Magdalene and others, mourning after the death of Jesus, is right back in room two. And in room eight, you find a picture of the women at the tomb. The very first cell, cell one, has a picture called Noli Mi Tangare, which means do not touch me, and shows Christ appearing to Mary Magdalene in the garden after his crucifixion, the moment when she doesn't recognise him. And then as she realises who it is, she reaches out to touch him and he says that. There are three corridors in total and the middle one is the smallest of the three and it's called the Novices Corridor. It contains only seven cells and they're slightly larger than all the others. The idea being that novices, when they first arrived at the monastery, would be given slightly bigger cells because it was going to be such a shock for them to gradually reduce their personal space and get used to the simple life of being a monk and so giving them slightly more room to start with would perhaps make that easier for them. And all of those seven cells have frescoes of St Dominic inside them, worshipping the crucifix. St Dominic, of course, being the, the saint of the Dominicans, the order which the new monks were about to join. And at the end of the novices' corridor are three rooms which were used by Savonarola. Monks generally had one cell, it's quite amusing, I think, that Savonarola, who preached so much about giving everything up, renouncing everything, was the one monk who had three rooms to himself. So he had a cell, the same as everybody else. He had a second room, which was his study, and a third room known as the oratory. Presumably he would hold court in there, other people would come to listen to him. There are some display cases in his rooms, containing two hair shirts, which it's believed he wore. I'm not sure how 100% certain it is they're the actual ones he wore, but they're certainly labelled as such. And there's also his black hooded cloak. If you come across a picture of Savonarola, the one you see most often in textbooks, etc., is him in profile wearing this black hooded cloak. There's also a painting showing the execution of Savonarola in the Piazza della Signoria, which took place in 1498. That was actually part of a series of panels, this is the only one that's here, but the others showed scenes like his presentation before the tribunal when he was tried. And another one called the divestiture, which presumably shows him having his monk's robes torn away from him. In the third corridor, there are some cells which were believed to be used by lay brothers and by guests of the monastery. And here you'll find cell 38 and cell 39, both of which are believed to have been used by Cosimo de' Medici himself when he stayed over at the monastery and also by particularly special guests. So, for example, in 1443, Pope Eugenius IV came to visit. He arrived at Epiphany because he had been asked to consecrate the new church which was built next door to the monastery. 
Presumably, having travelled all the way up from Rome, he had to stay for a few nights before he could return. And also in this corridor is cell 31, which is believed to have been the cell in which Sant Antonino himself slept during the seven years when he was the prior of the monastery and before he went off to be Bishop of Florence. Another lovely room to visit is the library, a large pillared hall specifically requested by Cosimo de' Medici. He paid for not just the room and in fact the rest of the monastery to be built, he also paid for the book collection which started the library off. He had a lot of books of his own, some of which were moved here, and he also bought a job lot. He bought the collection of books from a humanist called Niccolo Nicoli, lots of classical Greek and Latin texts, which formed the basis of the original collection. The library, in fact, was the known as the very first lending library in the whole of Europe. Although, in fact, most of the original books are not here anymore, they were moved to the Biblioteca Lorenziana, or the Laurentian Library, which forms part of the complex of the San Lorenzo Church. That was done particularly in the 19th century when monasteries were being suppressed and the monks were very worried about the fate of all their treasures, so they moved the books elsewhere to make sure that they would be kept safely. In fact, this room wasn't just a library, it was also known as a scriptorium. So it was a room in which the monks used to sit and do their work of copying and illustrating manuscripts. And so in here today, you can see a display of medieval manuscripts and also a display of some of the tools they used and some of the inks they used and information panels about how those glorious little pictures that you often find, for example, illustrating the first letter of the page on a manuscript, information on how they were actually done. So I hope that gives you a flavour of what there is to see there and some pointers for a visit if you're actually able to make one. And now I'd like to move on to talk in a little bit more detail about two of the artists whose work is to be seen here, starting with the best known of them all, and that was Fra Angelico. At least that's the name by which he's known today, the Fra being short for frater, as in brother in Latin, and the Angelico, meaning angelic, being a name that he was actually given while he worked here. It's rather lovely. I think they thought he was such a nice man, he seemed to warrant that name, so he became known as Fra Angelico. But before that, he'd gone under the name of Guido di Pietro in the early days, and also when he was a monk in Fiesole, the nearby monastery from which he came when he was asked to do the frescoes here. When he was there, he was known as Fra Giovanni da Fiesole, so Brother John from Fiesole. But it's the Fra Angelico, or Angelic Brother, which has stuck. We don't know exactly when he was born, about 1400, and he first pops up in a written document, which was written in 1417, as mention made of him there as a painter. We know that sometime after that, in around 1420, he joined the Dominican order as a friar. He lived in San Domenico, the monastery at Fiesole, just outside Florence. And that's when he became Fra Giovanni da Fiesole. In about 1438, he was commissioned by Cosimo de' Medici to do some of the decoration on this new monastery in Florence itself, San Marco. And it's believed that about then, or possibly the next year, 1439, he moved into San Marco so that he would be on site and able to continue his work. He's mentioned, of course, in Giorgio Vasari's Lives of the Artists. And Vasari's keen to stress that he had this double role and talks about how he led, quote, the pious life of a friar, along with continuous activity as a painter. The idea of what a nice man he was comes from Vasari as well, who describes him as, quote, saintly and excellent, 
and tells us that, quote, not long after his death, he was called Angelico because of his moral virtues. It's thought that the first piece of work he did here at San Marco was the altarpiece, which he chose the Virgin with Christ child on her lap, both of them sitting on a throne, surrounded by saints, who include the two patron saints of the Medici family, St Cosmas and St Damien. Perhaps that was requested by the Medici, or maybe Fra Angelico just thought that would be a good thing to do, something that would please his patron. After finishing the altarpiece, he seems to have moved on to the frescoes. It's thought that he himself worked definitely on at least the first ten rooms, and as for the rest, he's believed to have overseen the work, perhaps to have done some of it himself, but certainly to have commissioned other artists to work on them too. We have an exact record of the date of his death, February the 18th, 1455. And strange to relate, in fact, he isn't buried here in Florence, although that would certainly have seemed very appropriate. As so many other artists did, he also travelled, and he spent two periods of his life in Rome, having been sent for by Pope Eugenius IV. And on the second visit there, when he was staying in the Dominican Priory, he died. So they buried him in the nearby church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. You may recognise that name. That's also the church in which the trial of Galileo was held. And his tomb is there to this day. It's thought that at San Marco there are in total about 50 works by Fra Angelico. So that includes the altarpiece that I've talked about works in the friar's cloister and the chapter house and the corridors and of course some of the frescoes in the cells. All of that thought to have been done by himself or at least under his direct supervision. And of all of those I'm just going to pick three to talk about in a little more detail. The first one is a fresco called the Annunciation, not the one that's in the monk's cell that we've already talked about, but a different one which is found at the top of the staircase. It seems to have been put there very prominently in a place where everybody is going to see it and notice it as they walk up the stairs. You can't help but look at it. The guidebook describes its position as being, quote, perfectly calculated to make an overwhelming emotional impact upon the visitor. And they go on to talk about it as being a, quote, masterpiece of quiet understatement. Because although it's a picture of a very key moment, the moment when the angel comes to Mary to tell her that she's going to be the mother of God's son, it actually looks like two beings, one human, one angelic, having a private conversation. Mary's sitting on a very plain wooden stool. They lean towards each other as if really talking. And it's pictured as a very quiet, serene moment. The colours are gentle, the delicate pale pink of the angel's robe and some of Mary's clothing. Not at all the bright, opulent colours that you often get in medieval paintings. The Deposition, a painting which is in the Pilgrim's Hospice, I've already briefly mentioned, a very moving painting showing the dead Christ being gently lowered from the cross, watched by his grieving mother and some of the other women. And a little further away on the other side, a group of men clothed in contemporary Florentine dress. A very quiet picture, very still. There doesn't seem to be anything to do in this moment of horror other than just stand and look. It's thought that one of the men in the Florentine dress might be one of the Strozzi family, who was patron of the chapel and the altarpiece. One of Florence's richest men, a rival to Cosimo de' Medici, but who worked with him, to some extent at least, on this project and paid for the building of the chapel. Although the clothing, to some extent, speaks of medieval Florence, the city shown in the background is definitely Jerusalem. 
And here again, Friar Angelico is using what he's learnt about perspective. And then the third painting I'd like to make special mention of is the fresco in cell one, the Noli Me Tangere, Do Not Touch Me. It's another very contemplative, unassuming depiction of actually a very dramatic moment. Christ is appearing to Mary Magdalene in the garden after the resurrection. She's just realising who he is. But it's painted in a very understated way. For example, very limited colour range. Christ is wearing a white robe. Most of the rest of the picture is the greens and browns of the garden. Mary on his left is wearing a pale pink dress. And both figures have golden halos. But the overall effect is very quiet and calm. And the second painter I'd like to mention here is Bartolomeo. He was actually an apprentice painter in the days of Savonarola and he was one who listened very much to what Savonarola had to say and in fact stopped painting altogether, having been told that it was a sinful activity. But after the death of Savonarola, when things were getting back to normal a bit, he was ordered by the other monks to take charge of the artwork at San Marco and this encouraged him to take up painting himself again. There's an exhibition of his paintings in a room actually called the Fra Bartolomeo Room, opposite the refectory. He was painting a little later than Fra Angelico. His pictures date from the very early 1500s. But you can see Fra Angelico's influence in some of them. Two of the portraits, for example, are called Eke Homo, Look at the Man, and St Mary Magdalene. And they're both also very quiet colours, not too many colours in either painting. Pictures which encourage you to just look at the face of Christ or the face of St Mary Magdalene and reflect. And there are two other paintings of his there which you may well recognise from textbooks and guidebooks and things. And those are two pictures of the monk Savonarola. Both head and shoulders portraits, both seen from the side. The most familiar one showing Savonarola wearing his hooded black cloak. And the second one depicting Savonarola as St Peter the Martyr. That's thought to be an attempt by Bartolomeo to paint a picture of Savonarola in the days when commemorating him was still forbidden. It was painted after Savonarola's death, presumably as an attempt to ensure that he wouldn't be forgotten. And so that more or less concludes my episode on San Marco. I'd just like to finish by restating that I really think it was perhaps the most peaceful, the most tranquil, the most beautiful building in the whole of Florence. And let's face it, that's quite a claim to make. So I really would recommend that you take the time to visit if you can possibly manage it. Okay, so that's been the first of what will really be a trilogy of episodes on art. And in the next episode, I'm going to move on to Michelangelo, talk about his life and some of the works of his to be found in Florence and a little piece on the two galleries there most associated with him, the Bargello and the Accademia. So I hope you'll be able to join me for that. And for the moment, I'd just like to finish by thanking you very much for listening, grazie, and wishing you goodbye in Italian, or sort of at least. Arrivederci.